I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Why are you taking this course? It was a sensible question from the professor. After all, it was a semester-long course, and it was the first day of a semester-long course on the book of Revelation that was not required by the seminary. The ten students in that class, including myself, who contemplated an answer to the question posed, were taking this class of their own free will and accord. We were taking a semester-long course on the most widely unread, misunderstood, misinterpreted, most abused, and most confusing book in the Bible. My reasoning for taking this course is the opposite of these characteristics of the book of Revelation. I wanted to read Revelation, understanding it as best as I could through careful very careful interpretation. I wanted to delve into it to understand why it was written, the circumstances under which it was written, and who it was written to and for in the last decade of the first century. I wanted to get behind the scenes of Revelation and understand the social, political, geographical, and economical connotations of the book that would make it more understandable, perhaps more agreeable, maybe more sensible, and less like it had been written by, as the playwright George Bernard Shaw once quipped, a drug addict. <laughs> the book of Revelation tends to be a scriptural arrow in the quiver of fundamentalism. It is too often abused being used as a tool for persecution. It is paradoxical that this book was written as a comfort for the persecuted, and then is quite often turned around and used to persecute. It has a very poor reputation throughout history, especially church history. It is the only book of the New Testament on which John Calvin did not write a commentary, perhaps even refused to write a commentary. Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Reformation, couldn't understand how it was even included in the Bible because, as he said, I can in no way detect that the Holy Spirit produced it. In fact, it did barely make it into the Bible. Roman Catholics and Protestants seldom hear from Revelation in our lectionary. And often when we do, we whistle past the graveyard when it appears on Sunday. And it is not mentioned at all. It is not read at all in the Orthodox lectionary. See, what I think is Revelation is like death. When we see it, we want to run and hide from it. We don't want to talk about it. It's not good cocktail conversation. We don't understand it, nor do we want to understand it. We know it is a vision of what the end will look like, handed down from some perhaps weird guy named John, exiled on an island in the Aegean Sea. And that's all we really need to know to steer clear of it. It's apocalyptic literature, and apocalyptic literature tends to be unpopular. 
But when it was my turn to answer the professor's question, I said, I want to know Revelation better so that I can preach and teach on it and perhaps debunk its scary myths. I think this book offers a nugget of hope, grace, and resurrection. And any time I can teach or preach on those things, even if it is Revelation, I want to do that. I found over the course of that semester that I was not disappointed. There is a reason that we are reading parts of Revelation during this Easter season. There is a reason we read it on All Saints Sunday. There is a reason it is an optional reading at funerals in the Episcopal Church. It is full of hope. It is full of grace. And it is all about resurrection. But I think it would be difficult to discuss Revelation today without first mentioning our gospel lesson. It is St. Thomas Sunday, which always coincides with Low Sunday. We all know the story of Thomas. But the reading from Revelation is paired very well with our gospel reading today. Because you see, Revelation is addressed to those in the first century who were persecuted for their belief in Jesus Christ. Those disciples locked in that room for fear of the Jews, they know persecution, and they know it very well. It is what they fear, and it is why they are huddled together in a locked room. They had just witnessed Jesus, who they believed to be the Son of God, persecuted for saying He is the Son of God. As believers of Jesus, they had reason to fear. They had reason to fly under the radar. They had reason to lock those doors. But not only because they were followers of Jesus, but also because of the events that happened at the tomb that morning. Two of the disciples had seen the empty tomb, but none of them had yet seen the risen Jesus. At this point, Jesus has only appeared to Mary Magdalene. Their lives would be in even more danger if word got out that Jesus, who was crucified, had been raised from the dead. At this point, the disciples are frightened. They are sore afraid. Frightened for their lives and frightened because of the possibility that the rumors of Jesus' resurrection might not be true. It might all be false hope. It has been a long, arduous three days for these disciples at this point, I don't think they've gotten very much sleep. What they need now is they need answers and they need peace. And it is then that Jesus appears to them and gives them both answers and peace. Three times, twice without Thomas and once with Thomas, Jesus says to the disciples, peace be with you. To that gathering, of persecuted and frightened disciples. Jesus gives them peace through His words and through His presence with them. He lets them know through His words and through His presence that all is well and all matter and manner of things shall be well. So now let's shift back to Revelation. To those in the church being persecuted by the Roman Empire in the last part of the first century, Jesus also extends his peace. Jesus also extends his presence. 
we hear grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Peace to those who are persecuted from the one who himself was persecuted. Just as those disciples were locked together for fear of the Jews, so too are the followers of Jesus in the latter half of the first century living in fear of persecution from the Roman Empire. Just as those disciples had lost much, much hope because Jesus had been taken away from them, so too are the churches in Asia Minor, Asia Minor, whom Revelation was written to, losing hope because Jesus seems very far away from them. But he appears among them in John's vision in Revelation and encourages them not to lose heart because he is coming soon and all will see him the persecuted, and the persecutors. And the one who is, and the one who was, and the one who is to come assures them that all is well, and that all manner and matter of things are well. So throughout these past, I don't know, five, six minutes, I've been rambling about these two passages. What I'm trying to get across to you is that Revelation is not scary, but it's full of hope. It was written to the church in the first century, but we can easily see that it still applies to the church in the 21st century. Because persecution is alive and well today, and it rears its head in many ugly forms. All you have to do is just turn on the TV. But it is not something that happens just in the Middle East. It also happens here at home. It is not just something that happens to Christians. It is something that happens to people of all faiths. And this is true throughout the centuries. It is not only achieved through torture and killing. It is achieved through discrimination and various other ways we try to alienate ourselves from those we think of as the other. Persecution is an evil that must not be tolerated in God's church because it is a sin. Discrimination aimed at any group in our society must be spoken out against. When we see these evils, we must cast it out because it is, because it is not who we are. It is not who we are called to be. God calls us to unity, not division. God calls us to love, not hate. God calls us to understanding not intolerance. And the one who is and who was and who is to come calls us to peace this day with his words. Peace be with you. And as good Episcopalians, how do we answer our Lord's call to peace? Let us answer his call by casting out persecution and discrimination and by responding to Jesus and also with you. Amen. Amen.